Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, here we go. Back at it, back in the saddle. Sitting here looking at me, uh, this very sexy svelte MFR uh Joshua West. Josh West, how are you, man? Oh, I'm pretty good. Just this view is killing me, man. <laughs> Two ugly men <laughs> ugly dudes staring at each other, right? Oh, our, exactly. our, our wives are so blessed. Okay, so I've got I've got you here. People don't get to see this, but what I can see, what are you sitting in? You're are you sitting like an in an Etsy shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the wife does all these, like, uh, I don't know if they're magical potions or lotions or whatever. There's, look, there's even a cat butt. I, think I see there's there. two, two like, crocheted cat buttholes. Yeah, yeah well, it, we it, could have conversations on the things she makes. You should ask Jesus and Johnny about that. They, wow. There's some very interesting koozies out there. Well, I think uh, you know, there's no shortage of lube jokes around you. <laughs> exactly <laughs> well well guys if you're, you're you're tuning in and you're curious about this guy josh weston who i have on uh he's kind of the the guru behind the scenes over at uh, cbm motorsports he is the tuning guru behind a slew of ultra four drivers i mean i can't i mean it's like the, the non-stop you're kind of the thread that everyone hold that holds everyone together or holds the their tunes together right oh, man that's a that's a thin thread right there i mean it I don't know if I'm the thread or the lucky one or unlucky one or what, but it's a lot of work. So run through real quick because I don't have them written down, but I know it is a slip run through your current podiums that you had, you know, just in, I think when I talked to you at KOH this year, you were something like you had something like 40 podiums in four years, <laughs> uh, uh, of cars that you, you had the tune on. Oh man. Yeah. The KOH this year was, was it was a good, good outcome. It, uh, I know we took the poll, but I think we had six or seven cars in the top 10 for the poll, but then we swept, swept main hammers podium. And I think we swept EMC or we were one off a sweep in EMC as well. And it, the thing is, it doesn't just go to engines built. It's, you know, this counts in as tuning or electrical or however we've helped on the car. So you've had a, you've had your hands on some level some portion of a lot of cars yeah 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 yeah. they're hands-on some portion i can't even count anymore i mean it it's got to be upwards of probably 50 percent of the field maybe even more see that's something that's something else in the the casual spectator or even the the casual ultra four guy or the new ultra four guy that's in might not know or might not realize that uh all these other guys they're using the same you know one of the same vendors i mean we can see Guys on Nitto tires or guys on BFG tires, those are obvious. You can see Spider Tracks axles versus Curry axles. You can see, you know, a Ford motor versus a Chevy motor and King versus Fox or ADS or Bilstein. You, you can see the Bulldog winches versus the Warren winches. You can see those. But when it comes to the tune, yeah, you don't see anything. You hear it. That's what you do. <laughs> I mean, that. It's one of those weird commodities that it's hard to describe. I mean, it, it is, we get to be involved with a bunch of different people. And at the same time, it's one of those little things. A lot of people don't think about 
it leads into more though. There's more than just tuning on the car. There's just the rest of the car and the electronics and how things are set up and what's going to live and what doesn't. And being involved with so many, we really get to push and test and retest and see what's working with some people and what's not. And, you know, there's some teams we keep things very secret and some teams don't care. And a lot of the information will get shared to a point, but you know, if we get asked not to share it, we don't share it. Oh, that is cool. You, you touched on a subject there that, that I did like that you said, you know, a lot of people, they don't give in a a ton of thought into the process or uh, into what's going on there. And it is very, very important. It doesn't matter how boy, howdy your motor is or van motor or big boy motor as Casey Gilbert would call it. Uh, It doesn't matter what you have there. If you don't, set it up right and this year for the emc race we saw Cade rod in in his car very new car goes out terrible he had a terrible run in qualifying he ends up would it stutter stumble and he ends up taking a back of the pack start in the emc and what what does he end up doing i run into him somewhere in hammertown and he asks if i've seen you and i call you or i text you or i and then i give you give his number to you and you're like well i don't know why you why he needed my number here, he had my number because my tune was already on that car, but it was a starter tune, a builder tune. We still needed to put a motor tune on it so that you could race it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, unfortunately that happens a lot. Guys end up on a timeline or they end up behind or whatever. And with, with Kate, I don't, you know, it, I have no clue. It, it, I made a tune for that thing, man. I think last year it might even be, it was when the car was new, maybe second race that it had on it and I built something for it and emailed it to them. And then nothing ever came of it after that. I figured he took it somewhere else. I didn't even know it was still in there until hammers. And then I look at it and I'm like, dang, that's still what I emailed you. Why are you still running on this? Cause it was a guest. It was a swag just to get it started, get it yep. moving, get it out the door onto a trailer so it could come and get on a dyno and actually get worked onto it. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it had a sensor fail and that's what happens when stuff's not set up right. And something fails, then it runs like crap. And you end up with, in this case, a back of the pack start for the main race for yeah, the I think, yeah, he When it stumbled and bumbled, he made it what 50 feet and yeah. pulled off the track. Yep. Uh, um, immediately. And some of us thought it was watching. We thought it was by design. There's some strategic benefits uh, that you can, you know, some silver linings to taking a back of the pack start. If you are indeed a very fast car, that means every car that you pass, you're going to gain, you're going to gain time on the leaders on corrected time, which is amazing. You can't be a slow guy and take a back of the pack start. You've got to, you've got to put your big boy pants on and tie a brick to your, uh, right. to your right foot. <laughs> I don't think it was intended for sure, but I know Cade's one that could pull it up from the back of the pack, but I don't, I don't think his hammers trip was intended that way. I don't think so either at this point. And I mean, Cade, sorry, I don't mean to throw you under the bus, but it was a great example of, of something that was very recent to, that had real outcome of, you know, your qualifier didn't happen well at all. And it led to a back of the pack start for the race. And, you know, you think about all, you know, any, it could have been any racer that it could have happened to. And all the effort that go into it and all the work that goes into getting shown up at the hammers and to have something what seems inconsequential because it's a guy with a laptop plugging into your car, but it's a really important piece of the puzzle. Right. It is. And it, it, I mean, it, it's hard to really convey to people the importance of having everything set up right. I mean, and I don't mean just tuning, but the whole car as far as 
fuel system and electronics and everything else. There's a lot of things that work and there's a lot of things that don't work that people are still trying to get away with. We're going to jump into you. We're going to flash back and talk about you. So save that subject matter expert information about what works and what doesn't work and what burns out and what doesn't burn out. We're going to talk about that towards the the, the end of the show because cool. that's the stuff that I've got you on. I want to pick your brain on <laughs> what the cruxes are, but don't give away any of the secret sauce. So if anyone's wanting super, super secret sauce, you know, you know where to get that at. You call up Josh over at CBM or you can find him on Facebook. He's on there every now and then. He's not that big of a social guy. Most people have him blocked. So yeah, yeah, well, yeah, uh, <laughs> the blocked part. I know you got that right. <laughs> oh man. Well, so Josh, uh, yeah, we're going to go way back. So this weekend, ultra four is racing in Kentucky. And by the time everyone listens to this, the race will have been this past weekend. And hopefully, you know, I know it's a, a mud bath out there or was going to be cause it rained all day yesterday, I guess. So I think that dates this to everyone's going to be like, well, shoot, he recorded this on Thursday. All right. Well, here we go. So there we are. So Monday, we're going to retrospect, you know, Josh Blyler wins the race. Woohoo. Yay. (laughs) Bailey Cole, you know, he gets second. He pulls one out, you know, you know, uh, in his big, big wide car. Yay, Bailey. Uh, anyway, but, but, but to it, Kentucky, it was this past weekend rush and you, uh, you're a Kentucky guy yourself. Yep. Straight up Kentucky boy, tobacco farmer. We grew up right out of Bedford. So I didn't pull up a map. Uh, this is me being unprepared because I, I actually I knew you're Kentucky, but it didn't occur to me to actually look up where Bedford is. Where you at? Dirty Turtle, right next to that's it. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I thought. Yeah, yep. and that's that's a great that's a great fun course. Yeah, no, Dirty Turtle is awesome. Actually, my dad still lives right down the hill on the river from Dirty Turtle. I mean, it's if I go out there, we go straight down into Bedford and straight into the river, and there's my dad's house. And what's the guy's name that owns Dirty Turtle? I honestly do not know. Uh, somebody talked to him because I think he has an airplane. I think he was the one who, he was one of the guys that was uh, talked to about possibly lending his plane to go get James Schofield out of uh, Palm Springs. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I, that's cool. I may have all my wires crossed, but that is what's oh. going on in my head right now. <laughs> like that's, uh, I feel like it was, there was some connection there. Maybe I'm a little off, but eh, that's all right. How long were you in Kentucky till 18? You graduate high school and you blow that popsicle stand. I went to university of Louisville for a year, year and a half. And then I got out of Dodge. So I think I was 1920 and then moved straight out to Idaho, which was very, very adventurous trip. I had a, yj that i put a two barrel carb freaking 70s 350 in and it had still the dana 35 in the back and a soft top and a turbo 350 and i i think to myself i'm going to take this thing across the country well that was the dumbest thing i ever did in my life i made it to wyoming and it was freezing cold and it was leaking oil everywhere i thought the the drain plug was leaking or something my brother was with me and we pulled a the plug out thinking that, you know, it's just leaking past the threads or something. And no, it got so cold that night it cracked the oil pan. And then <laughs> there's nothing like driving a soft top freaking YJ with a freaking, you know, 150 horse and across Wyoming. Oh, yeah. And a turbo 350, it's screaming. It can't scream because it's just a clapped out piece of crap and it's a soft top and it's, you know, freaking negative, whatever it was out. And, yeah, I'll pass. What made you decide to leave Kentucky and go to Idaho? Like, like I can, I can see like leave Kentucky and go to Texas or Florida or New York or Chicago or California, but Idaho, nothing uh, against Idaho. I don't want to offend anyone from, 
uh, an Idahoan or uh, whatever that was. I had some friends that were out there. So I already had a place to go and a job lined up. Parents had gotten divorced and the farm sold and there wasn't anything really left there. So it was just time to get out. I gotcha. So, so I think Idaho, so I was in Idaho just a few weeks ago. I truly was. So I, I like it. It's a be- beautiful country, but I, every time I think about it, I think about this t-shirt I saw when I was like, I was probably 16 years old and it said, it said, Idaho, no, Utah. <laughs> and it's, every time I say it, it just makes me think, I always think about that when I, when someone says Idaho, no, Utah. Yeah. No, no. It's always been Utah. Growing up, were you in the motorsports or sports or wheeling obviously you end up with a jeep at some point you know around the, the high school you were how did you go from being a kid uh you know running around on a on a on a bicycle with training wheels to uh to getting in a jeep and heading to idaho my brother was the one that was more into playing around with dirt bikes and four wheelers and everything, man, I wanted to be a professional fisherman. I had a boat and I had all this stuff. We had this tiny little pond and I had this little two person boat and I'd go out there and, you know, I was bill danced at myself, but nobody else. No snakes falling in the boat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my brother had a Jeep, he had a Jeep and I beat the hell out of it on the farm and then decided I needed one. And I got one and the Creek flooded one time. And I thought that, you know, normally it'll flood and get up in the, the road. Ask Cantrell. He knows uh, Flat Rock Road, Drennan Creek. He's It's a pretty good area when it rains. And that's where the, our farm was back that road. And it'd usually get, you know, a foot, 16 inches deep or so. Well, it didn't. It washed out and the front of the Jeep disappears. And then this log comes along and tears it in the rest of the way. And so my first Jeep went down the creek. Oh, dang. <laughs> then after that, it was no holds bar. It was by another one cut the four cylinder in half when it threw a rod and then just put a three fifty in it and go from there. And so you've been mechanical pretty much, you know, and that's the farm side of you, right? Yep. You, if you break it, you, you figure out how to fix it. hundred percent. Yeah, it was, that was actually welding the motor mounts in and doing everything was where I kind of cut my teeth learning the weld. So that was a freaking tombstone stick welder sitting there on the farm and just, put it all together. I think I was, I did that at 18 and, you know, rewired the rig and just my dad looked at me like I was crazy. Oh yeah. The buzz box. See, that's what, that's what I learned to weld. It was a buzz box. And then, you know, didn't get to high school and they had a MIG, you know, that we had MIGs plural and getting used like, Oh man, this is awesome. And then you go back home to the farm and you'd have to fix something. You have to, you know, go get the 7018 out of the, out of the freezer. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's where it kept kept it dry, right? And then, right, uh, right. And, and then, yeah, then a me, you know, I get to college. I bought myself my own MIG. But yeah, now it's I can't even. I don't think I even have a stick welder. So yeah, I don't even have anything now. I we'll get to that part. But I had a fab shop, sold it, and now I'm we moved out here, and pff, the garage is empty. Everything's at the shop. I still don't have crap here. So you you learning how to build, you know, whatever, explore whatever, becoming, you know, your your infancy of being a your mechanical abilities, your mechanical aptitude. Did you know Cantrell back then? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew Katie, his fiance, her, her family, the Smither family. And uh, this is one of the only cuss words I'll give you right now, which my dad named the Shitter family because <laughs> we hung out with her brothers. We played football with her brothers and Cause I think she has like 82 brothers or something like that. Actually it's a four, but so we always hung out and she was little and, but she was out there with us beating the hell out of everybody. So it, 
it, now she has Cantrell, which you know she's perfect for him. Keep him in line. Uh, he needs he needs he needs everything, all, all sorts yeah, of help. Exactly. No, she's she's super sweet. When I interviewed James, she uh, she helped him out in the background before getting him set up. He he needed the help. Uh, <laughs> only no, he needed the help. No, I, I like him a lot. But that's that's awesome. I didn't know you guys actually grew up near each other and knew each other. But you know how many guys in Ultra Four are kind of like that? Like there's pockets around the country of guys that you know kind of. You know, like you've got the, all the Purdue guys out of Indiana, how they were kind of from, you know, close areas. Then you end up in Michigan, the Gilberts and, and all those guys, then down by Miller, those guys. I mean, it's just interesting. I know California is the same way. There's myself, Miles, a guy named Kelly Kaiser. There's a big group of us that all raced or co-drove at some point in life in ultra four, all from some little Bergen, Kansas, but that's pretty damn cool. So you end up from there, you take some classes at, at Louisville. Where are you studying? math math major see you're smart sob i'm gonna strip to just for, just knowing you for what i've known you for is uh you're a smart sob but you're a huge dude like what are you six three six four uh, yeah i think i'm six four and i the huge i mean i've been trying to get smaller lately too and i still i think i'm like 230 right now but yeah it, i i definitely uh a lot of people when they first meet me they don't expect lurch to get out and walk up to them and you know, they're used to this, the smart ass online and that doesn't, you know, you, you, you don't take somebody like that and imagine them to come at you. You're that, right. That that, huge. You, you're uh, your online, your online persona does not match your in-person persona. You are one of those. Some guys match, some guys don't. I, I don't know if I do or not. I think definitely asshole fits in there. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably, probably same for you. That's probably why we like each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but uh, you know before i go forward on that on that line you did you played you played high school in football because you mentioned yep. katie smith's family yeah okay so yeah i played football i got actually got hurt playing basketball got hurt in high school had a surgery had another surgery in college another surgery another 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 and ruined a lot of things and made me rethink life a lot and i ended up getting my knee replaced at 31 i think as Jesus. It turned out I, I broke a bone as a teenager and like they never caught it and it splintered off and just wrecked my leg. My buddy DSI, he's got a leg problem. I bet you, yep. you, you walk better than DSI or worse than DSI. I've seen you walk. I you walk, seem normal. I walk better now. The one, the one leg was bad. I mean, it got to the point to where that's why I sold the fab shop I had was I couldn't work anymore. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. It was atrophied down just straight. I mean, there was nothing left. I'd wear a pair of shoes out in a couple of weeks, just dragging my leg. Oh Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a full, full day. I mean, uh, you're on your feet all day long in a, in a shop uh, and you're walking, you'll walk 12,000 steps inside the same 3000, 4,000 square foot area. Just right. Just hoofing it. It only get, got worse. I mean, I think we do, oh man, usually it's five miles or six miles a day at the shop now. Wow. Yeah. So you spread out. So you remember when Jesse Haynes just had his little three car garage that he was building out of, uh, over there, was he in sparks? Yeah, somewhere in there yeah. over that he'd still probably work you know, walk ten thousand steps, but all inside that little bitty garage. We talk about he wore like six inches out of the concrete walking circles in that, in that <laughs> yeah, garage. Right. And then sticky tires, they pull concrete up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you blow this popsicle stand, you get out of uh Kentucky, you leave Cantrell behind. It's a bad breakup. He cries, he runs off, yep. he meets Katie, they get they get engaged, they're still not married yet. He totals a couple trucks and and then gets internet famous. And then you mind you, in the meantime, you are over there running around in Idaho 
what was the the genesis? Is that where you had you open decided to open a fab shop? Is that where you were at? And I know I didn't even know you had a fab shop. I've always known you as a tuner. Yeah, no, I I came over and I um I went to work for a welding shop. We did a bunch of whitewater raft frames and a bunch of other stuff. So we got I got hooked in the rafting really bad when I first moved out and and then learned how to weld better there and then ended up going to school to get the degree I have now. But I waited till I was out of school to start the business. Brian Gillespie, you you know that name? Yep. He just started a raft company. He, he works in park city, but he started doing, I forget the name of uh, Jordan river raft works or boat works, Jordan river, something or other. He couldn't find what he wanted and he couldn't even buy it. So he built one and then somebody saw him and asked him to build another one. Now he's got three, three part-time employees just building yeah. whitewater rafting racks to fit on boats. Cause there's just no one making, I guess yeah, there's a lot of people making it, but it, it, that it was what we did we built the frames that went in either the self bailers or the cats and then it turned into i don't know they came out with their own line the shop i was working for and then it was just straight up cats you know there was eight foot 12 footers 15 footers 18 footers it was it was fun it was a lot of fun testing on us for sure and in that part of the world like you know we were just, we were just up there like i was saying uh like the snake i mean there's no shortage of places to put a, a raft or a kayak in and nothing to stop you Oh, no, not at all. And it was the, you know, the snake, which is Hell's Canyons is a real fun part to raft. And then, you know, there's the salmon and there was no shortage of rivers we could hit. And the nice part was we had permits. So a lot of the rivers, snake and the salmon, we never ended up having to get permits for. Okay. Cause I, that's what Brian had explained to me that you had to apply for certain permits and you could take your stuff certain places and not certain places and different times a year. So now knowing what you know up there with this current little, you know, uh, jump in, in vogue mini jet boats that make you want they one were there they were there um, then oh what was the company oh i can't remember but they were doing the jet they're the ones that originally did niagara falls they were based out of boise they had the twin turbo ls freaking there was twin engine turbo that thing was this was 10 years ago 12 years ago or no it was more than that it had to have been freaking 17 or 18 years ago yeah you're getting old and they were they were running the rivers then, and these weren't little jet boats either. These were 40 and 50 footers, you know, a couple thousand horse. And that. See, I remember little, some big stuff, but now, you know, you see like David Hartman and Nick Nelson and their mini boat mafia. I can't help, yeah. but you know, follow, you can't help, but follow them on Instagram and, and see, you know, kind of the, the fun stuff that they do out there with like Blake Wilkie and what they're putting out, man, I don't live anywhere where I could do that. I mean, I've thought about it. It'd be fun. I, you know, we've got some bayous and we've got some rivers down here, but what I'm going to, you know, dunk, dunk alligators. <laughs> that, 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 that's ramps, speed jumps. Yeah. Speed that, bumps. So JT calls it that you, uh, I think he calls them Duncan, but he goes, you'll be going across and you just hear yeah. <laughs> under, under, cause JT has that big, uh, fan boat, airboat. airboat. Yeah. 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 We do. We do airboat motors for Panther, I think in Florida. It's one of the things we were supposed to go last year and tune a bunch of them, but you know, COVID. And then that happens. Yeah, you'll you'll have to just make a trip and go with JT when he's going to be down there and just take his boat out. It something else. I've seen him and Chip on it. Bet that would not suck. <laughs> no, not no, not not <laughs> even a little bit. Which I, actually, you know, speaking of JT, I'll say this right now: the San Felipe 250s this weekend, and it, or it's this past week, whatever you want to look at it. But JT is not there. He's actually in Kentucky. Poor guy. I mean, he's probably he's probably livid, pissed. And he I, sh- I 
bet he is. I mean, I saw we went to that gas, the first gas race last weekend. I think everybody was there. I mean, I didn't see JT there, but I know Dan Campbell and uh, Dave and Hartman were there. And I mean, it was everybody was there. But most of the Ultra Force staff was there. I mean, that's that's a quick turnaround and a lot of work. Yeah, I think that was a that was a concern. And I certainly at KOH talking to like Allen and company and all of them, you know, and Miles was one of those. Miles took the the trailer from Moab back to Pala, Kansas, and then he took it on to Kentucky. If he did that, then he wasn't gonna go to the gas race. And then JT, I don't JT was scoping. He had to do something with the the Buffalo chip in South Dakota. So he did he went there and then ended up in uh Kentucky with Miles picking him up. But then the rest of those guys are all all in San Felipe, from my understanding. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a those guys aren't all in San Felipe. I mean, they're all in uh, Rush, Kentucky, except for Dave. Dave is the only one that I heard. Dave is in San Felipe, which I get it. I would be too. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got good employees that know how to run the show, so let them. That's exactly right, and that was kind of cool to see out of Moab that you know the competition review board and stuff that Chip had talked to us, you know came forward and talked about being in the, the issue with Bailey and kind of all that. You know, in the past that was, you know, behind curtains and it, you never got, it, it just wasn't transparency. And I think everyone's kind of called for that uh, from a driver's perspective for years and years and years, asked for transparency. And, and, you know, Dave runs his show, he runs it his way. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat and it's really cool to see. I, I believe that this is Ryan Thomas's, you know, doing his, what it looks like with Ryan Thomas at the helm, which is fun. I mean, it's different. And so we'll see what, we'll see what that looks like. Sorry. We got off on a huge freaking tangent about air, air boats and you guys supply motors and, uh, and the little mini jet boats. But so again, back to Idaho. So you're working on, you know, you're, you're building frames. You got your little fab shop going. That was prefab shop. That was, I was still working for somebody else. And then I finished up my degree at Boise state. Actually, I've got a bachelor's in mechanical welding. So it was a weird combo degree that they had the right people there. And I, I have, I have almost like doctor's years into it. I think I'm six years into it. <laughs> so, but it got me nothing. What I mean by that is, is where do you go out and, uh, use that on a resume or a job or anything to get hired? It, it taught me a lot of fundamentals, but in the end, you know, what, what I've learned, I didn't, I didn't learn there. What I think about the college degrees today and even yours or mine, I I don't do anything that's related to my degree either. And I kind of never really did for the most part. But what I would say is uh, it proves that you have the ability to learn and, and that you've doc, you've documented that you've had the ability to learn. I know some people look at that as, oh yeah, you had the ability to, to spend money and take on debt or whatever. Yeah, certainly that, but you know, you learn to trip, you know, traverse what that spending looks like and what that debt looks like. And right. you know, hopefully you make wise decisions. And if you don't, well, then you reap the rewards of not, or if uh, you made wise decisions, you reap the rewards if you did. Right. But I think proving your ability to learn is huge because there's a lot of people out there. They may be smart, but they, they don't learn or well, it's like coachable kids, and, you know, it's yeah. the same way. It's, it's a, how, how can you take a negative and turn it into something that's constructive rather than take a negative and just sink into this black abyss and, and pout over it and, you know, worry about it. And no, you just have to move on from it and learn from it. Yeah, I know this. So this is definitely out of place because where I have in my notes, I want to talk about this way later, but I'm going to bring it up right now because it's perfect for it. But the learning from your mistakes and in today, just today's society and today with, with 
Facebook and social media, and I've, I've probably gone on this diatribe of a rant before and everyone's heard me, you know, on this, but it's, there's no place for failure in today's society. There's no place for failure on, on social media today. If don't get me wrong, mistakes shouldn't be celebrated, but they should be learned from. And, and for every time you have success, think about all the times you failed before you had that success, like true success. And that's kind of where you're saying like, learn from mistakes. You know, if you're not learning from them, then you're not making them. And if you're not making them, then you're not trying. And if you're not trying and, and that's where I see this issue that we see certainly in off-road motorsports and all motorsports actually, and even just in your daily driven car that needs some maintenance. If you read one bad review online from a company that's had 10,000 customers, you read the one bad review and next thing you know, you don't go there or I hate to use this, this one, but I listened to it this morning on the radio was the Johnson and Johnson vaccine They're You know, they, they hit this pause button. Well, they've given over a million of them out and they've had Europe had six people that got sick from the vaccine. One died and one ended up in critical. Well, that's terrible in my book, you know, loss of life, terrible, but you take the, the numbers, if a million people, so nine, nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety four people end up better from the vaccine. If it's right, if the vaccine's good or bad, I I'm indifferent. I'm not going to make that call, but, but let's say it's good. And the, the downside was that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to call that collateral damage because I think every life is precious, but at the same time, there's always something that's going to go wrong. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, you could build the same exact thing, you know, is proven and tested and is, is going to work. And 99 times out of a hundred, it's going to work that one time it just isn't, it's going to fail and something's going to happen. And you know, how you take that thing that happened is really, really, you know, that's usually what I try and you know, put out there with people is, you know, if something fails, let's figure it out. Let's not dwell on it or shop jump or keep going to other people that are making promises. Let's actually work on something and make it better and find where it's wrong. And that's the conversation that I was wanting to have is the shop jump and you brought it up and it's, there's a thousand different ways to build an ultra four car. There's a thousand different ways to, you know, I mean, within some reason, right. We know certain geometry works. We've, we've figured it out after enough years that certain things work and certain things just absolutely don't. But by and large, if you have one mistake, let's say trans uh, a transmission, well, let's say it eats an O-ring in the valve body. Well, man, that sucks. It was a, you know, a 30 cent part took it out the first time it does it. Does that warrant immediately going somewhere else? I don't think so. I think you've got to, you know, kind of run it to ground, uh, work out all the other bugs before that, but you see this every day. Right. right. But unfortunately it's, it's what happens more times than not is people move on right away and there's no second chance. There's no chance at making it better. It's just, you know, it's either something in their ear or just this constant thought of, well, there has to be somebody better or something better or the thought of you know it you're just wrong you know i mean and i don't mean that as like i'm saying somebody's wrong it's just you know it, it people always seem to think that they have the right idea on how something should go well there's a lot of us out there that do things for a living that we're here to help and just because we say or do something that doesn't go along with what you're thinking or what you think it should be 
doesn't mean it's the wrong way, you know, especially if it's something that's proven or and not proven. I mean, it sometimes some outside input. I mean, there's cases where I call around for help. I have a big group of friends or I, I, I just said I have friends. I, I wouldn't take that to heart. You know, I have a pretty good group of guys that that I trust that I'll call and ask for advice and who you have in your circle will really, really help you in the end. You know, you know, put the people around you that you know will steer you in the right direction, whether they'll, they're telling you you're full of crap or they're telling you're on the right track. Well, I think people sit back and they see, you know, the successes like, like Lauren Healy has, and that he always has it together and like, or Miller or the Blylers or, or you can go or the Gomez guys or Joe Thompson. I mean, they got to where they're at by making mistakes and, and, and figuring it out and time and time again. And they're, they're figuring out over the course of, you know, lots and lots of races over lots and lots of years and applying their knowledge. And it just didn't come overnight. And I don't know, that's, we we seem to see a lot of these guys are, you know, show up. They've seen ultra four on something. It showed up on an Instagram feed or it showed up on, maybe they saw something on TV. Somehow they ended up plugged in. They thought it was awesome. They have money, they go buy a car and then they just don't have luck. You know, they, they have a lot of problems and, um, struggle with, uh, who to listen to. I, I had lunch with, um, I'll give you an example. Um, I had lunch with, uh, Mike Mills and Mills has the four sixteen. I can't think of the guy that owns the car, but they share driving responsibilities, but the four sixteen was built by brave motorsports and Mills is a horse GP three world champ. He's this guy is a, he's a wheel man. He is good, but you know, they bounced around on the West coast by, you know, getting that car worked on and prep, uh, and, and they not being in the motorsports, not being an ultra four, they weren't sure who to listen to. So they were taking the car to who they thought they should listen to. And it turned out they don't think they should have been listening to them. And, and so there was this, he takes me to lunch and we have this conversation about who to trust and who not to trust. I'm like, I mean, the people that you're talking to are all trustworthy individuals and trustworthy shops it just you know they all have different ways to do it so if you bring them i don't know if you bring them a betamax machine and they are only have vhs's they're going to try to shove a vhs in there and that's kind of how it works so you know we have all these different ways to do it so that's where i was kind of you know you started on that path and i definitely want to explore that path but um the patience and is you know talking to brad level and something that brad's developed over his entire career is they're not sponsors or in this case of you know or vendors or whatever they're partners that is my partner because they're my partner i look at them as my partner that this is my transmission partner because i want him to be just as vested in this piece of equipment as i am vested in bringing it to him and my in my vesting of putting this thing on the podium or attempting to or whatever that is right i want to be able to walk in there and hand him a a frame picture of my car sign and he's going to hang it up behind the counter right at the end well, of the day. Right. You know, coming from the partner side of things, I should say, um, you know, we want to see people that'll work with us and that will want to evolve rather than, you know, it, it's like you said, a lot of guys come into this right away and, Unfortunately, they think just throwing money at stuff is going to cure it rather than throwing knowledge at it or just a little just being a little more humble with it and talking to people about it and just seeing first seeing what works and what doesn't versus, you know, what Facebook says works. Yeah, I'm going to use Lorne again. 
if you watch Lauren's Instagram, he's wheeling somewhere almost every weekend. That's practice. He is practicing. Right. And so we look at somebody that just, it felt like, because I wasn't familiar with them, you know, is, uh, you know, the light bright crew, you know, husband, wife team, they seem like just YouTube sensations or whatever you want to call that. They go buy a 4,400 car and they're just going to go race. And everyone's like to handicap it is like, well, they're not even going to finish. No way. They even yeah. make one lap. Well, now that, you know, they, they finished by the way, they did finish, which was amazing. They bought a bomber and they finished and they overcame some adversity with the transmission and some things along those lines beforehand. But now that I, I know who they are and I'm following them a little bit. They're in a car every they weekend. Wheel. They're oh, wheeling wow. and, and working on the car and rich on it. So now in retrospect of them finishing KOH, no surprise whatsoever. None right. because they're always out there. They're putting in the, they're doing the homework. I don't know. Well, we're, I, I'm in the same boat as you with them. They actually, Kevin and Brittany actually stayed with us here at the house for, they, it was supposed to be a couple of weeks while we, uh, while they were prepping the bomber and we built an engine for it. And man, I think they ended up staying here almost three months prepping and getting ready for hammers and everything. And they were always out wheeling. They were always out in the Jeep doing something that wasn't just sitting on their ass and playing internet. You know what I mean? They were actually out running, running their other rigs. They were out running trails. They were out running everything they could to get ready without the car. Yeah. It's methodical. And, and maybe even if it's under the guise of them getting content for their feed and right. their lifestyle feed and, and which it, of course dials back to a, a compensation by default, they're getting experience, right? Yep. Oh man. I, we got off on such a tangent that uh, stuff we will, we'll definitely get to. So I I've jumped off of, uh, Idaho and then somewhere in there, you, uh, you're working for somebody, you end up starting out your own shop and you start your own shop in Idaho. Yeah. I started my own shop in Caldwell outside of Boise and it was a, it's a little fab shop. I mean, it was, you know, I was stretching Jeeps and Lincoln Jeeps and then I started making little parts, um, like amplifier mounts to mount amplifiers up under the dash. So people couldn't steal them and door hangers and other little kits. And I ended up selling them. I can't remember if it was four wheel parts or Quadratech or not, not four wheel parts. I'm sorry, Transamerica. And then they ended up having their own built. And that was the end of that. But the big fab side of it, I mean, it, it got to the point to where that was when my leg was really, really bad and it was time to do something else. So I ended up selling that side of the business and literally just, moved to tuning and that was it i mean it was so we were doing engine conversions and i've always wired and done everything that side on my own and then there was a huge need for setting the rigs upright and setting the tuning upright and everything else and it just wasn't getting done the way it should have been so that's what led me to that you hit a spot in life and people is i guess inflection points as jothan to whom likes to hear me say you hit an inflection <laughs> point in life where you had to make a decision, right? You can't walk anymore. So you get, you need a lifestyle change. I read somewhere and maybe I'm off, but you did some work for the DOD. You did yep. some satellite uplink work. So is that like stuff that we're going to see you given like, you know, Travis Walder a run for his money on? Uh, no, 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 no. We, uh, when I was still in school, part of the program, we had to do an internship. Afghan war was going on. Everybody was deployed at Gowan field, uh, the air force base there in Boise. Or reserve base. I can't remember. Yeah, it's Air Force Base, I thought. We had to do an internship for school anyway. And there was a rumor that they were trying to hire. So we actually got hired on to come out and build the 3116 cats and the bifuel 
whites and some of the M88 final drives and everything. And then we turn around and break them in. And that's where I kind of saw something went from building the engines to we'd break them in on the dyno. And then I would start tinkering with them, the, you know, injection timing and everything else and start making more power out of them and ship them back overseas. And so people are like excited about their, you know, oh man, this crate's from Idaho. This is a good one. <laughs> well, it, it, what was cool was it was actually, we're going to the guys that were um, deployed from Boise or, you know, deployed from our area. So when they got back, you know, we heard a couple of times about a couple of the engines, you know, doing a lot better instead of making, I don't remember what it was, 190 horse or 200 horse or whatever they were making. We would usually crank them up another 50 to 75. So, you know, basically drag racing Humvees. Yeah. 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 Kind of. No, those were the six twos. Yeah. The diesels. Ah, <laughs> uh, the big stuff. And then, uh, at what point do you get out of Idaho? At what, what was the point where you, you decide you're going to move to, cause right now you're in Hesperia, right? California. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm just right on top of Cajon Pass. I mean, I'm 45 minutes from the lake bed and I back majority of the BLM just North of Cajon there. I think we can, we could get out to the lake bed on BLM from my house. So it, it's a good spot to move. But my drive to hammers is no longer 13 hours. I like that. But the, the change to CBM is what happened. It, the company that I had that was doing all the tuning and engines was two uh, eight motorsports. And I got to the point with that where man, it was time to grow, find some money and grow or shut it down and look for something else because I just, I couldn't keep up on my own and things were looking really good. And then the last year I had it open, there was a six month period of absolute, just no pay. I mean, it, I turned out a bunch of work and it, I was dumb and let stuff go and didn't get paid and it almost killed us. Yeah. Cash flow is king. Yep. And that's part of, you know, being a business owner you know, every single day you you're making that. And I, I guess some people that don't actually recognize that the, the whole capitalization of, of your, of your shop and monetization of your time, your time's a commodity. And right. you hit a point where you can't make more money at all. No matter what you do, you can only make expenses go up and the only way to get over that hurdle is to hire a bunch of people. So there's the, the you hit this point where you either got to get big to make more or that's it. Right. And that was it. I started this whole thing out of pocket. Everything's been out of pocket. Just bootstrapping it. And how do I train another me? You know, how do I pull another me out of my butt and freaking then find two or three more guys? I mean, you just, you can't, you know, and I wasn't going to hire a bunch of people real quick and just start turning out crap. You know, that there was no way I could do that. I can see that, you know, we, we all struggle with that, right? Trying to, you, you can't replicate yourself. And sometimes you don't even want to replicate yourself. You want to make somebody that's better than you, but then <laughs> those guys, you're, they're kind of unicorns, right? To find the right guy that is interested and down with what you're trying to do and that you aren't going to train him up and then he's going to bail on you at four months. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, we're, we're looking for help right now and that's the same way. And unfortunately nobody wants to work right now. It's really, really hard to find people that'll even show up for more than one day of work. I mean, it's the free money's out there right now and everybody's taking it and nobody's thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow rather than the, you know, the free crap you're getting today. It is hard to compete against the federal government for your yeah. labor force. <laughs> that's who you're competing against. You were competing against hiring against the federal government. That's hard. I mean, that's in my book, that's the, the government versus the people when 
they've got the labor force on the tit and that puts all the, you know, the demand side. That's why we see this, this just in time economy is in trouble. And I know where I'm getting way off, way off on a tangent here, but for certain parts and certain things, everything's backordered in this country right now. It is because of COVID. But even once we get out of COVID, nobody, that labor force is just backward. You know, I've got a buddy that had ordered a new Corvette and his build date, I think it slid four months because they were waiting on parts to come from China of all places. Right. But it's just this, if nobody's doing the work, how are the taxes going to be paid to pay for the people that aren't working right now? Right. And, and, and having the federal government front run your labor force absolutely sucks. I, you know, see it in my business. I see it in my work daily. I see it in my family's business where it's literally, they're tired of competing with the federal government for, they're like, you say, well, nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. Well, yeah, they, they, because they don't have to, they can sit home and take the check and they're freaking happy, right? No work. I mean, you can get your expenses way down if you don't have to work just sit at home and play call of duty all the time yeah just just monetize that and get paid twice yeah well yeah if you if you can but the rest of them they just sit around and you know smoke weed and eat cheetos right i mean wait 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 wait. i mean i i did we're not supposed to do that at work (laughs) (laughs) i i mean your state yes my state that work for the record my my state we're not there yet (laughs) Oh yeah. So you end up in Hesperia. Hey, so do you hang out with Dave very, very often? I mean, you're uh, not too often. Usually we'll all get together out at the ranch and then when everybody's there, but man, for the most part, it's balls of the wall 24 seven. I mean, it, it, you know, leading up to hammers, usually Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving will be a day off and then Christmas day will be a day off and that's it. So after that is usually it'll slow down enough. And I mean, we're back to weekends off now, but we still haven't slowed down. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. And it's just, we're getting, the bad part is we're, we're getting further behind, but at the same time, we're going to also, you know, we need the people now, which, you know, anybody looking for a job, we've got a bunch of openings, but you know, we're, we're to the point where probably once a month, we're just going to schedule a week, nothing coming in, you know, nothing new, just stay caught up with what we can do. I mean, it, it's way better to be honest with everybody with that than it is to over promise and under deliver, which is the, 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 du of the day for, for the most part. You know, I mean, we see that kind of, and it's so fresh, it's so damn frustrating. I, I was buying something today. I was ordering something today. My option was a thousand dollars more and I get it in five to six weeks or the thousand dollars less. And I get it in 14 to 16. Well, I chose the 14 to 16. I don't need it immediately, but it, you know, the more I dig around, turns out it was probably going to be 14 to 16 anyway. Why pay yep. the extra thousand bucks? I mean, and that's, it was 1300. I think was that the actual number. I was like, come on, man. I mean, and they try to push me to pay it. And I'm like five to six weeks. I don't, there's still no guarantee of five to six weeks. It's still probably going to be the 12 to 14 or 14 to 16. So that's how we are with parts right now too. You know what? Luckily, with CBM, we carry, I mean, I, we carry over a million dollars in inventory and that's what's carried us through, you know, and now inventory is getting lower and man, like lifters, you know, I ordered some, or we ordered some hydraulic lifters in March and they're still telling us another two to three weeks. And this was, you know, first week of March. And so now we've got engines just sitting there and we call around and try and get other brands, but we really can't because they're not spec right, you know, and then it, what do you do? I mean, it, 
we still have no solution to this other than just keep calling around and price goes up and up and up because nobody wants to sell what they have on hand for what they have to build. That's exactly right. And it's a vicious cycle. And, and then here we are. And then you get Yahoo's like myself or the rest of the field, uh, just tearing shit up, uh, this weekend or last weekend, or <laughs> we're going to, we're going to wreck it. And then we're going to get replaced. And, uh, you know, as an example, I know the guys that all had, a uh, ship shocks out after KOH, all those guys just barely got their stuff back in time for Moab. And then the guys that didn't need them for Moab needed them for Kentucky, barely got them back for Kentucky. I didn't hear of anyone that missed the race that wanted to make the race, but actually I did. Uh, cause I believe John mole was trying to make Kentucky and he didn't make it, or he was trying to make Moab and he didn't make it, but you, you did some work for John at KOH this year because he had the, he had the fire. Yeah. We actually came out the day before that and there were some problems with the car that we helped him with. And then the car, he went back out and something happened on the fuel rail or something and car caught on fire. And yeah, we, he came back out and we helped him get all new engine harness and the other wiring that had to get fixed and pointed them where to get plumbing and everything. I think they were there for two or three days fixing that car. And it was that car that could have went really, really bad. How they got it out without burning the whole car down. I don't know. I have no idea either. Uh, thank God he had fire suppression. I saw that video. I think I carried the video on the insiders page and shared it over there. Wow. I mean, one, that's a, that's a sexy car, you know, it's a twin to the red dragon, but it's gray. I, it is a good looking car, but then Adam Shearer over at tribe in Fort Worth finished the car out. And then John lives down in San Antonio area or, you know, new Brunfels. And I know he's look, he's looking for labor too. He's looking to pay a, pay a prep guy. Finally, you know, realized he doesn't have enough free time. There's not a free time in, under the sun for him to prep his own car. And if you have the ability to ha- have somebody prep, I, I get it. Same with you guys. He's looking for labor. Only right. your labor needs to live live in Hesperia. His labor needs to live like around New Brunfels, Texas. And that <laughs> I will tell you in my book, like as far as the country goes, New Brunfels, Texas, it's not the prettiest area, but man, it's got every, it's got the Guadalupe River to float. It's got uh you know, Canyon Lake, it's got Green Hall, it's got music, it's got, oh, it's just got Texas. I mean, it just oozes. It's good. It's a good part of the country. So if anyone's Probably. listening to this, uh, <laughs> wants to go work for John Mole and work on a Jimmy, a pretty badass Jimmy's car, there you go, man. Hit that guy up. But so yeah, he had that fire, could have gone bad. He gets out of it, burns up the engine compartment pretty bad, a lot of wiring, and then brought it to you and you guys went to town on it. Yeah, we, we, they did majority of the work themselves. We, we helped them a little bit and just kind of pointed the way for them. And, um, you know, it was, it sucked to do it that way, but it was a great way to learn the car. I mean, it, they were up that car's butt for a couple of days, really deep and they learned everything about it. And I think that's where we went earlier. Like you go, you buy a new car, you have a new car built, but you don't know anything about it. Even, even the pros at the pro level. When you have a new car, if you didn't build the whole thing from scratch, like an Eric Miller would, you aren't going to know all the details, right? You're going to have to figure it out. Right. And that's where, you know, Miller and Slauson and I mean, it and Joe and freaking everybody that builds their own cars, the Campbells and everybody that's, that's part of, you know, they have a little bit of a leg up on knowing their cars and how fast they can fix something or if they need to fix something, where it is, what's going on. You know, there's a whole different understanding of your car. Freaking absolutely. And those are the guys that we see in the front, Jason Shearer, Jason knows his car inside and out. He doesn't wrench that much on anymore. And he'll admit to that. And he's admitted to that. 
Uh, he said, I'm better off at the grill cooking, feeding everybody, but he's kind of lying to, to all of us because he is like, he's in that car. He knows where every bolt is. He might not be the one turning the wrench on the bolt, but he's looking over the shoulder of the guy turning the wrench. So right. he knows what's going on. Yeah. He, he, he knows the status. It'd be interesting to see how he, he ends up coming out of Moab. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty good size IFS car to be running around in the trees. Hopefully it survives without too much damage. Him and Bailey. Just pull the old Gomez trick and pack a chainsaw. That's a, I heard that story last night. That's a great story. That was a great well, no, that story. That was um, the the monsoon year in Kentucky. Was that when, what it was? I don't if it was Marcos. I think it was Marcos ran the car clean up a tree, couldn't get it down it. So they ended up having to cut the tree down. And then it was the next day they were putting chainsaws on all the cars. And those guys have some <laughs> damn chainsaws. I mean, Mountain F Enterprises, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The, the, those cars the only other person I've ever seen wheeled chainsaw like that was freaking well, two people, Tom and Tom Ways and Travis Brake when we were in China, they were going chainsaw happy on tires. Tom is a he's a chainsaw guy too, man. He <laughs> he can throw one around. Hatchet, chainsaw, whatever, it'll kill. <laughs> right. Yeah, they they're serious about their saws, man. Absolutely serious. So what what's your what exactly is your role over at CBM? I don't know what what all you do. What 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 do you do there? So with the 208 thing, when that was kind of coming down to an end or I was still trying to decide there, I started subcontracting and flying down and tuning, you know, a week at a time or so for CBM. That's what I thought. I thought, I, I thought, cause I was like, man, I saw you with CBM stuff for a long time and then it didn't seem to make sense. So this now makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was, I think for them, it was more of a test out, you know, see if I actually knew my shit or if I was just full of shit, one of the two. And it turned into more after that. Now it's at the point where Chris and Bruce, the two owners are, you know, they're ready to look at starting to retire and now it's work on the next phase. I mean, it's, they want to keep it going. They don't want to just sell it and close the doors or do anything like that. And Bruce has his sons and Chris's are all alone. So it, you know, I, I was brought in to see how I would fit into that equation. And thus far it's starting to fit pretty well. So is there an opportunity for uh you know employee buyout or equity buyout or anything yep. for for you? That's yep, good. Yeah, all of that's still getting worked out on if if and how, but it it's it's I think you're right on track on on what it's going to look like. And you're interested and they're interested. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That, that's yeah, it, that, that's the key to was, a good start right there. Right, right. Well, it, that and you know, it fresh mind comes in, fresh ideas come in, other things come in, you know, let's fix problem areas let's start looking at new things let's bring in different crowd and thus far it's worked and you know a lot of the stuff we've tested has tested very well and the stuff that hasn't has just went straight to the dumpster well let's spend a little bit before i get too far away from it so you're married you've got a couple yes. kids how long have you been married you would ask me that when you no um yeah, turn, been together. Look like, i look to make sure she's not looking so <laughs> Or listening through the glass over here because something will come flying and hit me in the back of the head. Shauna, right? Shauna? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, We got together 13 years ago, I think now, 12, 13. I keep looking. And we had no intention of getting married. And then we had Easton, our son. And it was a decision to get married. So we both had equal rights in case something happened, just in case something happened to one of us or something happened somewhere along the way or whatever. We were just trying to make sure we were both covered. We got married nine years ago. There you go. And then you guys have a daughter too, right? Yep. Evie. Yeah. Evie six. 
she's our little hellion. <laughs> That's our go fast kid right there. He, he, Ethan likes to as well. I mean, he, but Evie's the one so far with no fear. And, you know, she's the one that'll come up and just sock you and walk away laughing or come up and pat you while you're crying and whisper in your ear that everything's going to be okay as she's inflicting pain. Yeah. That's the younger sibling right there. So that's the, I've heard that called the, the rich man's family, right? That you get one of each kid, you get a, you get a boy oh. and a girl. I don't know if that's <laughs> real, but, um, I've heard it called that. Uh, yeah. So my, my anniversary is tomorrow and I had to be reminded of it earlier in the week when I, I, I can send you a text in the morning if you want me to, because I, I'm sure I'll remember oh. that, but I sure the hell won't remember mine. Day after tax day was how I remember it, but they keep moving tax day. Right. So I've mentally, it's sometime in May. I've mentally checked out. I'm not so worried like deferred tax day or, you know, we can confuse this up even more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this, so yeah, I have a, a, a lunch tomorrow and based on where I'm going for lunch and the side of town I'm going to be on, I had to, you know, confirm with her like, Hey, we don't have something going on Friday that I got to be back. And not have had beverages at lunch and be, you know, ready to go at three or four or five o'clock. Like we didn't have an event and her response to my asking about Friday was, well, it's our anniversary. So yes. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> thanks for telling me <laughs> like that I got plans. Cause I would have not, I was not in my, my, my frame of thought there. 16 years, man. But, but so you guys have been together for, oh, thank you. But you guys have been together nine. That's well, married nine, married but nine. been together 12 or 13. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And my daughter's the same way. She's the crazy one. I, my wife has said that she's going to be the one that's going to be the one that wants to get in the race cars. And I have no doubt, no doubt your kids like going to the hammers. Oh, uh, they've never been. What? I, I, that, there's a story right there. We, uh, first year of EMC, we were running in it. I took my wife down and she was eight months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And it was cold, cold. I mean, it was, I don't even know how cold it was at night and we were stupid. We took a tent and an air mattress and we froze our ass off and somehow it didn't kill too many brain cells in my son's head. But man, after that, she's like, I'm never going back out there. So then we went for, (laughs) then we went for Thanksgiving, you know, at one year and, it wasn't so bad. Lost our son in the night. He took off running. You know how dark it gets out there. And just had the campers all together. And he was running circles around them and decided to run too big of a loop. And, you know, there was trailers all around us. I think Wyrick was the next one over. And I mean, there was there was nobody around us to worry about. But he ended up finding his way back. He just followed the light. You know, it wasn't that hard. Oh, he learned terrible. his lesson that night, though. <sighs> cried a little. Mom cried a lot more, and he lived. And, and, and uh, she's okay. Now. My wife is okay never going to the Hammers, and she will yeah. openly tell me that. I took her to Havasu once, and she was like, yeah, this is where I know you're going to bring me to the desert to kill me because it's so dry <laughs> out here. I'm literally, I'm like that character, you know, I'm like that uh, the actor at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusades. You know, where he drinks the, he drinks from the, the wrong chalice and he just yeah. turns to dust and falls into a pile of dust to the ground. That is her description of what happens to her in the desert. She's like, here we might have, I'm just going to turn to dust. I just dehydrate out. All my skin's going to flake off. You know, I'm no. So she has no interest. Like, so that's why you guys, you're, you're blessed. You're blessed, right? You get me at the hammers, you get me and just me only. And I absolutely freaking love it. I love my wife. I love my kids, but I love the hand. I love ripping it out there. I love 
going to the fire until midnight. I love getting up early. I love just the hammers are just amazing, but also hanging with all your friends. If you've got your wife and your kids with you, don't get me wrong. Some, some families, that is their thing as well. My family is not that. And I don't, I would have to entertain them as well. And they would not be fun havers. All right. Well, no, the entertaining portion is hard to me. It's just not the right time. Let them get a little older and I'll take them out and, you know, when they can understand everything better and want to be a part of it, or, you know, if we have a rig then or something, then that they can actually go do something. But right now it's just not right. Plus I'm running all over the place and that's not fair to them. Yeah. You're a busy guy out there. Yeah. I would see you. I, I mean, I think we talked about this one day. You, I think I thought you said this, like your steps, you were at like 30,000 steps and it was not that late in the afternoon. You had been, yeah, uh, it's crazy. Usually it's like 10 to 15 miles a day, just walking. And cause you can't, you can't drive a razor around anywhere. You can't do anything like that. So it's literally just on your feet all day and it never stops. Let me get you a bicycle. A, it means I have to learn how to ride it. Yeah. Big guy on a little bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't do a 50. I'll just tear the tube out of it. So that one's off the table. There you go. With what you've got going out there, you know, you moved to Hesperia. Did you meet, you know, Shauna out in California or was she Idaho and moved with you or? Yeah, I met her in Idaho and then, man, we were only together a couple of weeks and I was commuting the vape working for a TV or production company. I was running a satellite uplink truck and they wanted me to move down. So they offered me more money and full-time position and a place to live and everything. And we had only been together a couple of weeks and I was like, well, I'm moving. You can come along or you can stay here. And she came along and she's been with me ever since. What a great story. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe from my perspective, you might be like, this is a terrible story. I would have to ask her, but it, it was only, I mean, we weren't together long at all. I think it's a good story. I think she'll think it's a good story or, or she'll, or, <laughs> it or is she'll, you by she'll the tell way. Everybody about her poor life choices. Yeah. This, this poor girl. She, we all, we are already feel bad for her. Like, Oh man, <laughs> she's, she's over there crocheting cats with their buttholes. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not the worst thing. Oh God. Well, so you guys, now you guys are, you know, you're in California kids, you're rocking at CBM. We've talked about a little bit about not a lot, a little bit. We've talked a lot about kind of what you're doing, but when when it comes to like the, the tune, the engine tune, the engine management systems on, you know, race cars being ultra four or drift cars, or even just a street driven vehicle. Um, and the importance of that, who taught you that stuff? Like where, like, cause I see these guys that doing it. It seems like there's a, a, anyone with a laptop that can download Foreskin can, can go at it. What separates you? Oh man, I, dude, I'm self-taught. And what got me into it was necessity. And it, the farm boy came out in me and I have to figure this out and I have to figure a way out that works better. And I have to, I, you know, I, I just have to figure it out myself. And that's one thing I've always heard. You know, I, I remember growing up, I'd ask my dad for help. And the answer was always the same thing, which was you're smart. You'll figure it out. And well, it, it's got me here. <laughs> so he was right on that. Not without mistakes, right? That goes back to what we talked earlier, right. trial and error, right? Trial right. and error. Yeah, no, it was trial and error. And, you know, the biggest trial and error was I always knew the way something should run or the way it should sound or what it should do. And, you know, what 
where the trial was, which was figuring out what changes to make to do that in the management or in the computer or whatever, you know, and I've tuned a lot of carburetor rigs and they're the same way, you know, I'm at point A, how do I get to point B? And then every rig is a different approach. So as you go through that, let's say, let's say, let's talk about some of the the high level points that you need to be checking down on. What are the bullet points? Like the fuel map, you know, making sure that that looks right. And what does that look like for, I guess you guys, you've seen so many ultra four cars over so many different competition fields that, you know, about what you're looking at what, kind of tell, tell us about what that looks like or what it is that you're looking at. A lot of that, it depends on the systems too. You know, it, when I first started oh, great. getting yeah. into ultra four, the first couple of seasons, the only thing I did was log races. I mean, you know, we, we would tune cars. Yes. But while cars were running, I would just log and log and log and log and then go home and look at everything and see who was driving. You could, you know, you can see how people are driving. You can, you can see it with their short shifting. You can see if they're carrying it out. You can see how they're landing. You can see everything. And that really took me to, oh man, you know, it, the car's running like this and this is what this driver is doing. How do I either convey to that driver, this is where the error is, or how do I fix it so that what they're doing will work? Because different people in different cars, I tune the rigs different based on who's driving. And are, are we, you know, butterflying the the throttle or are we stabbing it or are we always well, yeah, a lot of chopping guys, you throttle? Know, a lot of guys are just on off. There's nothing else. They're either wide open or they're fully closed. There's a lot of guys that'll set corners and, you know, rop, 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 rop on and off the throttle 10 or 15 times and do things that way. And all of that gets set up different. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. So you're tuning for not necessarily, you know, wide open throttle, but you're tuning for throttle chop and you're tuning for, for peak power where they need it versus. Right. That's a, a thing right there is it doesn't always have to be peak power. What it has to be is clean power. You know, it has to be, it has to work right. It can't delay or hesitate or bog down or do anything like that. It, it just has to be there when you need it. And that, you know, that figuring out how to get to that point, you know, it's still, I guess, it's an art. Somehow right? a lot of people haven't figured it out. And I, it, it, it really isn't that complex once you understand what's going on with the computer and going on with the driver. And the driver usually can give you more feedback than the computer can, too, because there's a lot of issues we'll find that I'll find by just talking to the guy in the car. And he knows, like, by I brought Mike Mills earlier. Mike Mills used this statement on me earlier in the week or might have been two weeks ago now. He said his butt dino. Yeah. But dino. And I was like, I've never heard that before. That's butt dino. Yeah. See the pants, right? See the pants, yep. butt dino. So, uh, see the pants, you feel the hesitation or that when you chop throttle, that the thing stays open or wh- whatever that equals you, you get that. And then that tells you where to go look. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, and what, another thing that'll change it a lot too, is even just converters. You know, a lot of guys don't think about that. They'll throw a 4,500, 5,000 stall in for short course, and then they'll come back to hammers and throw in a 3,200. And the way the car loads up and acts is completely different, especially if you're running some big monster motor, big cam, and all of a sudden you put a small converter on it. Yeah. It's going to be lazy and it's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Yeah. So t- I think in that's exactly, those were, man, you're checking down on all my questions here, which is perfect. Uh, we're, it means we're, 
we're Unagi here. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> so yeah, for each course, right. Especially like, you know, short course, you're going to tend to see the average RPM of all the drivers. If you take the field, it's going to be elevated compared to like, uh, like maybe this weekend in Kentucky. I don't know what the Kentucky right. course is going to look like where you're going to see a lot of low level crawling, low RPM crawling. And so that in, in itself itself truly affects how, how these uh, transmissions are reacting, which is affecting what torque converter you should be running. If you should be running, you know, a lot, you know, everyone's, I assume everyone's running non lockups and, right. or they should be anyway. And, and then you start moving as you move through the RPM range, you know, when they flash and when they don't flash, what is some advice you have for some of those? Cause I will tell you when I, when I first, you know, built my IFS car, that was a struggle that I had was, you know, you put a big boy howdy motor in it and you're turning, you know, just shut, you know, upwards of 800 horsepower and you came from 400, 500 on a good day. Right. And you start going through transmissions. It's kind of, it's disheartening. You go talk, you know, I would talk, you know, you, you talked about your guys that you would reach out to, you know, I remember talking to Nick Nelson about converters and, and Nick is like basically put the biggest damn thing that, you know, that you fit in. He, he likes to, you know, like a 4,500 and just leaves the thing wide open throttle all the time. Well, right. My Pauls don't <laughs> cling like Nick Nelson's do, <laughs> apparently as I found that, out. That's, that's part of your difference though, is everybody likes the car set up different. Everybody likes the way, you know, differences. And that's where you can't take approach to this as, you know, one size fits all, you know, advice wise man, you got to find your driving style. You know, that's the biggest thing. And and all the logging and everything from short course to a distance race or a like Kentucky course or something like that. I was only seeing like a 500 or 600 RPM difference in usage. That was it. You know, guys aren't really beating the hell out of these cars like they think they are on the short course. And they're starting to now that everybody's going faster. Things have changed again. But in the beginning, it was, or not beginning for, for me, when I really got into it, there wasn't huge, huge difference, but you know, there wasn't many guys also running freaking 4,500 stall or five grand stall. And there wasn't a bunch of guys running a true 800 horse. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. I remember, you know, breaking that 700 mark and it was kind of like, wow, what are you doing? Like, are you retarded? And my answer to that was King of the Hammers, which that car never ran King of the Hammers, you know, I, I didn't really build it for that, but we can all, I guess, associate with King of Hammers. I view King of Hammers. That's 10,000 drag races. Right. That is, I'm drag racing from this rock to that rock, from that trail to the next trail. It's just a drag race after a drag race, after a drag race, after a drag race. And right. it's hard, right? It's, it's hard to build a car to do all that, that can operate well and make good torque at low end where you're idling over rocks or you're at a slightly elevated throttle position over rocks right. versus you're rolling across Emerson dry Lake at your wide open throttle pushing 130. No, it like Randy this year, that's one of our engines and it's 630, 640 horse. It's a stock LS three headed 427 stroker, nothing special. And he wanted it less power than what we gave him on the last car or the what? Yeah. The one I built him on the last car, which was, I think that thing was a little over 700. And he'd break everything and that, you know, and I know he went through his spell of rear ends and whatever the BS went behind that. But when we did the other engine, he was breaking more than that. He was breaking transfer cases and CTMs and freaking axle shafts. And I mean, it was just, 
he was breaking everything. It didn't work with his the way he was driving. So now we took a lot of it away, which that car is still stupid fast, but it's not as violent. And you have to find that. You have to find what works for you. I mean, it, it's not a you know one engine approach. It's not a hey, let's build what you know we built those freaking four nineties now, and those things are animals. But we put that in a little light light car, and you're not going to do anything but break crap. And you spent, which that's a, I'm really, really glad you brought that up about Randy, uh, you know, to finish first, you must first finish. And right. and if that means truly dialing it back, this is the first time I've, I think I've had a conversation where anyone's talked about, you know, the progression where we've progressed to a point that actually we need to regress back away right. and go back to revert back to things that have worked. I'm not saying we go back to trail wheeling on 31s, but there's a point in there that maybe works, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any replacement for horsepower on a short course, like a, like a Crandon, but at KOH, obviously we just saw it, you know, Randy finished. Um, I know he had, he had trouble with Tundra rear ends. Was that a year ago, two years ago? I remember he was messing around with like Toyota third dropouts. A, I think that was a different car. Different He's car. always been 10 inch, but no, it, it, you know, and on another note, you know, another thing we're working on right now is, um, force induction on ultra four and we have a car coming up that is going to be torque managed forcing you know supercharged so it's not you can adjust the pedal you can adjust how it puts out torque you can adjust everything based on where you're racing and how you're racing and what fuel you put in it you know and we're going to range that thing anywhere from 700 to a thousand horse depending on push of a button so it, it will basically, you can, like we've talked about, like uh, with like Wayne Israel or something about adjustability of shocks on the fly. Yep. You can adjust the tune on the fly. Would that be something that, that you would do flip to low range, flip to low Wait, horsepower, all torque at the bottom of a rock trail. And then when that, you pop out, flip the, flip the tune. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Basically like, oh, awesome. you, it, cause everything's going to be drive by wire. And with what we can do with that now is. You know, I can control response and everything else without having to derate a motor. You know, you just slow down the pl- the the blade, or you slow down the pedal input, or you slow down anything. You know, you can get to the rocks and hit a button, and you know, the first half of pedal travel is dumbed down. But then, if you need to get out of a jam, you just smash it, and all of it's there. You know, okay. it, it depends on how you look at it. That's cool. I, I'm seeing other implications there. I can see. You know, that's going to change. Uh fuel consumption that's going to change pit stops that's going to change strategy wow i like where that's going all right what else you got up your sleeve (laughs) our biggest hurdle right now is airflow you know we're we're building engines that are exceeding the packaging of cars and we're we're building engines that are exceeding you know like a, a a fast intake we outflow those with in a pump gas 427s like we'll make vacuum wide open and that just leaves power on the table with these engines and the new engines are really really restricted and those are are you still talking ls motors or are you moving up to yeah. gen 5 stuff no these are ls uh, the gen 5 is going to be the blower motor okay um that, that one literally what the end goal on that blower setup is guys can go to gm and they can buy a $17,000 crate engine. They can do a couple little things to it. And then the management comes from us and um, they can have a badass freaking pump gas desert machine that can run on 91, you know, 100 
avgas or whatever low lead or you can step up for short course throw some kind of ethanol in it and just have a freaking monster and so what do you think you're going to get out of so those are six twos yeah yeah and then what do you think a motor like that will end up making Desert, we're going to leave them pretty conservative, probably like 700. And then for short course, sky's the limit, just depends on fuel. You know, if, if we're setting the fuel upright and the fuel system and everything upright, I wouldn't be surprised to see 900 to 1,000 out of them. That, that is fun. <laughs> but, but progressive. See, that's that, then that's where things are going to change. It's not going to be an instant thing. It's going to be a, let's figure out what works with the car, hooking up and doing things, and then bring the power on after you already have traction or you're already doing something. Versus just leaving it all in a pile of rubber or just yep. burning, burning a trench out, trying to get off the start line. Yep. Huh. I, I like that we're, you know, you guys are taking technology and embracing technology and moving the ball forward at a rate that's, I guess it gets us out of our own brains, right? Our own brain is to start lines, mash it. Right. And right. so do you see, I mean, I'm going to take the devil's advocate here, uh, that even bad drivers are going to start getting faster. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't because mistakes are still going to happen and they're only going to happen twice as fast when you have twice as much power. And once it hits, it's, no matter what, it's bad drivers are going to be bad drivers. You can't, you, I know you can take and upgrade cars. You can put people in better cars. You can do things. They'll get marginally better. But at the end of the day, if they're bad, they're still bad. Yeah. First to the scene of the accident. Yep. Uh, I, I, I love it. So today, uh, your knee fully rehealed. You're, you know, 15, you know, what are you, 12 years on it? No, I'm nine years on it. Turned nine 40 this last weekend. Well, happy birthday. Well, Mr. Thank Josh, you. I wish I would have known that. I would have told you happy birthday a week ago. Versus Send me today. a box of dicks or something. Glitter. They've been glitter dicks. <laughs> so, uh, Rollin did that. Rollin McGee. Rollin, what's his last name? The uh, he co-drove yeah. with Miller. Yeah, yeah, Rollin. Yeah, yeah. he uh, figured out the internet smartass thing a couple of years ago, and I got a box of dummy uh, gummy dicks out of him. <laughs> somebody, somebody brought a package of the gummy dicks into my office today. Today. <laughs> about another coworker got them delivered to him and he was showing them off and they came to make sure I saw them. And I was like, I didn't see him, but that's funny. I, yeah. you know, are those, are those like uh, THC, you know, are, are those gummy dicks? Like, are those really, and they're like, no, no, oh, they're no, just, no, they were they're just, just normal, <laughs> normal gummy, that non, uh, I, don't know. I meant Makes to re gift them, but then we moved and now I can't find them. They make more every day. I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that would mean I got to actually give a shit enough to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> there there sean is hey uh josh what is this um visa charge for gummy penises uh, <laughs> they would go right along with her koozies oh shoot yeah so that's it she, she stitches some of those up i bet that's a yeah, hot yeah. i bet that's a hot seller oh she's got one that we named the caitlin jenner because it's both oh wow um it's got boobs and the other part and texas jesus ended up with that one which is quite fitting. I can see Matt yeah. Fallis having that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm Fallis having fa- double Fallis. <laughs> double Fallis. <laughs> uh, he, he is such a good dude. All right, man, you've got some crazy stories and we're going to go into some crazy stories. You, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even. So there's a story that's floating around about Randy Slauson. We've talked about Slauson here a little bit that, uh, uh, that he pissed on you 
but I don't know the story. Yeah, old R. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. He he enjoyed that a little way too much, I think. That was Hammers mm, four years ago or so, five years ago. It was one of the wrecked rear end freaking he's lap two and the rear end blows up and he's out eating a sandwich. He's done with the race. And I was like, no, man, we're changing this rear end because I was helping him at the time. And so we got under the car and changed the rear end out and it was he had a low pinion in it, put a high pinion in it, and he went and ran some more rocks and came back in and the drive shaft was rubbing, the yokes were rubbing. So I got under the car to grind them out and just clearance it. And well, he decided just to take a piss while I was under the car. You know, I mean, it, he couldn't have done it any other time. He had to wait till I was laying right underneath him, just <laughs> begging for a golden shower, I guess. <laughs> He's just sitting in the driver's seat, you know, just let, letting it run out the calf of the race calf and, uh, yep. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, he, he, that was one of the worst showers I ever had, that's for sure. I've always heard the stories about, you know, the the rookie or the newbie on a pit crew, the car comes in, it's hot, everyone, you know, they're feeling it, everyone's looking for leaks, and, and of course, a leak shows up underneath the driver's floor, the passenger's floor, co-driver floor, and the newbie jumps down there and, like, of course, shoves a finger in it and then touches it to their mouth, like, wants to know if it's motor oil yeah. or what is it, and it's like, it's salty, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't taste it, but I know for sure he wasn't pissing excellence that year. Yeah. <laughs> Slauson. Well, Slauson's got a, wow. He's got him a run between donuts and pissing on people. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good one though. He's actually, I got to give credit to him. He, uh, he was the first one to give me a chance at redoing the program and tuning and motors. And I mean, it took off from there and I, you know, it, it would it have happened the way it happened if, if that hadn't happened. I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know. He, when he moved up to Gardnerville, I know he was looking for somebody to wire the cars. And I just literally, I've never met him before in my life. I like cold text him on freaking messenger on Facebook and turned into me helping. And the rest is history. Yeah. The rest is history. So you do a lot of that. I mean, when it comes to, you know, we talk about CBM, we've done just a lot of talking about just the tune tune work and what you do there, but you do, uh, you guys do a lot of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, I've always done full chassis wiring. CBM's always done it. And then when I came in there, we really changed it up, you know, took everything to higher quality and, uh, it's, it's still something that we do. And is it worth it? Yes. And no, it's one of those things that it's, it's still kind of on the fence on what do we proceed with, you know, and, my most important thing right now is just engine development and just durability development and keeping up with, you know, just things that are going to last and live. And, you know, we don't have to worry about at all. Yeah. I didn't like when, you know, uh, shopping for wiring and how, how expensive that was really going to yeah. be like to, to do a really good job that allows you, you know, you know, weather tech or mill spec connectors and, and making this thing to where it's serviceable it doesn't chafe. Uh, you can prep the car and can take things out without having to dewire the whole car, things along those lines. Right. And, and then you, you know, back then and you know, the first kind of, I guess, insight I had to that was just seeing the stuff that was coming out of the Campbell shop, you know, the back of their dashes and how, you know, they're like their airline or airplane wired. Like there's, you know, just beautifully done and in order. I'm like, wow, that's shit. How should we done? Wow. Yeah, Smitty, Gerald, Gerald is a badass. Gerald is, it's, he's one of the guys that I, you know, I never knew him before and then started helping the Campbell's out. And 
I can say he's a pretty good friend now. And we've, you know, I've learned a lot from him and he's pulled some tooling in and stuff that we had at the shop. He came out one time after um, he wired the Caprera car, the UFO car, and we were just behind and couldn't do it. And it went to him and there was a couple little things that he needed to work on. And he literally came out on a Saturday and I was there tuning on other cars and just opened the shop up and he came out and helped. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, to, to have somebody actually care like that, you know, it, it, that's the people you want helping. Yeah. I've, I've heard that now I've not met him, but I've heard that, that he is this, well, he's race family, right? That is good stuff. Is that something that you like though? You, cause I know like when, when the builds go on, it's like the last 10% of the car takes 90% of the time, which the wiring plumbing is in there. Is that something you enjoy? Cause I know a lot of people that they do it, but they absolutely freaking hate it. I enjoy it if it's not dropped on me the week before hammers. And then that's when I really hate it because it's, it's nonstop and grueling. And if you mess up, you're going to ruin somebody's day. So, and it, you know, and that's, that, that goes back to where I was saying it's, it's just, we get so busy in prep that there's a lot of cars that get finished late, you know, and it just, that and that's majority of our our being behind it's not that we're behind it's that we're trying to accommodate everything and every car getting done as the best we can and it it you know i'll sacrifice two months to do it i don't have a problem with that so you it takes mental prep but then it also takes uh you know undivided attention because i can see that if you're trying to multitask yeah, you're you're gonna wire the fans to the clutch or something, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad. It takes a lot of attention, and the the attention is the hardest part. And usually, if we get behind or if I have to wire a car, I won't schedule anything else, or I'll do it on my days off because then nobody messes with me at all. Those are the days, like even my wife says about like it's the Saturday or the Friday when you know, like it's like Good Friday and nobody's working, no one's in the office, but you work from that you actually are productive and you get stuff done because you're not being your attention isn't being pulled away from the work product that you have sitting in front of you. Absolutely. Right. I can see why Saturday would be amazing. It's when they start making, you know, Saturday is a work day and then everyone's there and it's just another day that you're <laughs> running at 70% productivity. And yeah, usually we don't do that with, with everybody, you know, we'll pull in some key guys if they need to work on the weekend, but we're not going to work everybody on Saturday and it, Right before hammers, they reworked a bunch of stuff in JP Gomez's car. So I think, oh man, it was Christmas Eve. I flew up. No, I think I came home Christmas Eve. I flew up, measured the car, flew back down, and then built everything and shipped it up. And then um, Jason laughing, you know, terminated stuff on the chassis side or did some other stuff that he had to do. But that was full freaking PDM display, you know, real ECM. It was not a little quickie wiring job. So you do a lot of work for the Gomez brothers. What do you think of them? I mean, well, about I, their operation. They're awesome, huh? I love the Gomez brothers. I mean, they're, they're easy to work for, you know, it with them, you know, you just have to understand that racing isn't full time and the cars aren't full time. So if you need to talk to them or explain things to them that, you know, you just make sure you explain it clearly, you know, not just assume that they'll understand everything you say. Cause they're there, they are mentally, they are focused on that race car when they're around the race car, but there's, it is a fraction of the, of their life. 
Right. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no dollar value to that race car. I mean, you know, it's, it's their dollar value is to mountain F and, you know, and that's, that's their life. You know, racing is, is, I wish I was at that point where racing could be fun and a relief and or release and go do it because you want to go do something fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. I promise. No, I, I can't promise you, but, uh, but that's the goal, the right? Lottery? <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's always the goal to live and breathe it, live and breathe it. I couldn't walk away. I mean, I, I walked away and realized, well, all my friends are still doing it. So right. <laughs> and I'm not very good at making friends. So I better, uh, better stick to stick to the, the group I had. Even if they're yeah, terrible, you, me both. That's <laughs> and then we, you know it. I we raced the two years there and our EMC two years in a row. And once I started working, I I really have no desire to want to race and really screw everybody over by trying to get in a race car. Because then I have to focus on myself, you know. And with us helping so many people, how do you how do you help people and focus on yourself? Uh, you leave little Easter eggs in all their tunes. Yeah, see, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, I'm joking. Oh, man. So you got a funny story about Pamela Anderson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it. you know, how many guys out there dreamt of feeling her up or doing things? And one of the things that, you know, we when I was doing the TV stuff, we uh, subcontracted to all the networks and everything. And she was in Vegas doing the magic show with Hans Clock, who she was always joking and hauling calling Hans cock. And so the, the two or three days we were doing everything with her, I was the one that always got to mic her up. So, and it was three o'clock in the morning and no makeup and, you know, a t-shirt on and that's it. So you just kind of bounce your hand up a shirt and hopefully you hit the right thing. Well, that's pretty anticlimactic. I mean, I, I, I was really <laughs> hoping for more out of this story or that you would sell it more. I mean, I sell it, but man, well, it, it, it at that point, I don't know how much there was to sell. It was, it was, you know, a little bit leather bound at that point. Oh, so th- this wasn't that long. All right. Well, yeah, yeah I thought this was a, <laughs> a diamond in the rough on a story. I was like, man, Pamela Anderson. I mean, yeah. I mean, way back when, but you're, yeah. Okay. You're probably right. And then, um, so yeah, you were doing all that stuff in Vegas and you're running around with, I, I think you did some stuff with your traveling with the, the McCain campaign when yep. he was running yeah, against yeah, when- Obama. Yeah, when he ran against Obama, we were doing the private uplink on the Republican side. So I had a little like 1.2 meter dish that flew around and we handled all the pool uplink when he would um, uh, when he was on campaign. That little thing went with me everywhere. That little 1.2. I mean, we did that with McCain. I went to South Point, Hawaii with the Weather Channel, Jim Cantori waiting for Flossie to hit. So we're literally on South Point, Hawaii with this freaking 1.2 meter dish set up and they're doing live shots and I'm stacking rocks trying to keep this thing from blowing over and all the islanders are partying and just telling us we're retarded. There's no hurricane that's going to hit. And sure enough, it never hit. A bunch of earthquakes did, but no hurricane. And so you've got, you know, crazy, awesome stories like that. You probably ran into Dan Lloyd Campbell out there and you didn't even know it. You probably crossed paths with him. (laughs) Probably. 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 And I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't in too many strip clubs or, you know, it, it, I don't know if he was trying to cut his toes off with pressure washer then to, to, as he is now, but yeah. I mean, so well, he's not. always in flip flops though. I saw him at hammers in boots. I've seen him wearing like cowboy boots. For oh, real. well, you oh. go from flip flops to cowboy boots where they like the super pointy long ones. I mean, it definitely declared his status. No, he could have definitely passed for, for, you know, 
they were good. They were, you know, the, the, the straight nose, you know, snub nosed or whatever you want to call them blocked off, whatever. I don't know, whatever I wear. I, I looked at him. I was like, man, those are good. Like, I really think he was in like Amarillo and saw a bum and stole him off a of bum's feet in like Amarillo. Like that's probably <laughs> where they came from. I could see him sizing up, laying down next to him and seeing if they're the right size yeah. and then stealing them. You re- like Your setup <laughs> reminds me of uh, his wasn't that, you know, him talking to me uh, about, you know, his wife sells a bunch of scrubs and lubes and nature's products. And so I don't know if you've had this conversation with him, but based on the background, everything that Shauna has at your place with just shelves and shelves of, uh, of beauty products, you and Dan Lloyd Campbell have a lot in common there. Yeah, we do. We, uh, we definitely laugh at each other every time we walk by each other. That's for sure. You smell good. You have the best skin in ultra four, both of you. Yep. Soft hands. Well, you know, (laughs) soft hands comes with keyboard fingers. So you can't, you can't be a working man and and have soft hands. You have to just not use them, I guess. Yeah. There you go. And and long fingernails. Oh, geez. Just one man. Well, Josh, I'm so glad you came on. I, I, I know when you know, we first met, you know, years ago and, and then online, your online persona and, and you have, you you definitely, have, I've heard stories of rubbing the wrong people or rubbing the right people, whoever the wrong way. And, uh, and then once I got to know you, I'm like, man, this, this guy's freaking hilarious. It was, it was some issue. It was, maybe it was Doug's axles. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I bet it was Doug's axles. Phil. Yeah. It, it was Phil. And it was like the best meme would get a t-shirt or something. And you <laughs> rattled off, I don't know, a hundred Doug's axle memes. And they were absolutely off the wall. Hilarious. Like I should have actually probably saved some of those. Uh, uh, yeah. Then I didn't win the vote. I mean, <laughs> Oh, it, well, that was rigged to begin with. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, that was rigged to begin with. But no, it you know we all have to have a release somewhere, and it. I joke in person too, and I don't I don't know if people take it the wrong way or what, but it's my smart ass doesn't change from online to in person. That's for sure. Yeah, you got me in Oklahoma at nationals last year. You were sitting up on top of one of the chase trucks. Was it Dave's? It was somebody's. Yeah. yeah. You're up on top of this chase truck. You're sitting up on the rack and I'm strolling by. I don't even remember what you said to me, but it was something so inappropriate. All I can do <laughs> is start laughing. You turn and just climb up the truck and sit down next to you and hug you. Cause, um, I didn't even know you were there and you just rolled something off. Like, I don't it know. falls out. I mean, it, 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 it I don't know. I, I do. I know I've got, pretty quick with jokes and, and one-liners and coming back. And, but it, I don't know, shit just falls out of my mouth sometimes. And I, I don't know if I'm conscious and know what I'm saying or not, or, or if it's just, you know, like some inner demons that need some exercising or something. Right. <laughs> well, man, I'm glad, I'm glad to know you. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you agreed to come on uh, the talent tank and let's share your story. And like Thank I said, a, a lot of people have certainly seen your name on Facebook. They've seen conversations with you. But you do, you seem to keep a pretty low profile unless, you know, you need a tune and, uh, and, and then people know who kind of the, the people that know, know, they know who to go for and, and track you down. But a lot of people don't, I want to, you know, kind of get you out there. Cause I, I, I said, it was like, you know, like the tie that binds in the beginning, like this common thread, but you've turned into be this guy that is put a lot of, you know, it is, it's, you know, suspension tuning, it's the right tires, it's the right equipment, but even, but 
you can't overlook that your engine management and you can't overlook you know, like wiring and some of those details, but uh, you've made, you know, as you've rebranded yourself, you've gone through multiple iterations or multiple inflection points in your life and uh, found what's next. And you've continued to, you know, you're a smart guy. So you've continued to evolve. You've continued to find ways to, to be better, continue to find ways to help people and uh, continue to find ways to, to put money on the table and not money on the table, food on the table, make money, put food on the table. Right. I'll, I'll get something right at this point. But, but yeah, the, in this iteration of your life, I'm excited to see what, where this takes you and what your next thing is. I'm glad to call you a friend and all that, but thank you for coming on, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, we're, I, I'm excited. This is, you know, one of the, I don't know, it's been a long time since I've really looked forward to what's to come, you know, it, it working on my own and things kind of not really going south. Just, I mean, it, it was constant, just nonstop work, 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 work. And now, you know, being able to take a weekend and play with the family and do things. And it, we're finally hitting a stride where things feel right. And it, you know, it's really changed me too. It's, it's changed my personality. It's changed the way I deal with people. It's changed the way I interact with people. And it, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, get this far and see where it goes. Well, I think, you know, you, you nailed it right there. We lose sight of the prize when we're working, you know, six days, seven days a week. And that's what happens, you know, leading up to KOH. I can't tell you how many fights happen in my house. I know they happen in all the other ultra four houses, uh, leading up to KOH or leading up to pretty much any race when you're spending, you're dedicating, you know, the, the, the car, or the shop gets more time dedicated on it than the family. And, and then plus, you know, if you have a day job or another job, you know, whatever that is, if you're not a full-time racer, that's, or you can afford a prep crew. Yeah. You lose, you lose sight of the prize. I mean, what's really important at the end of the day, it's your wife, it's your kids, it's your quality of life. And sometimes we'll, we'll burn a candle at both ends so hard that we're beat up, we're ate up. And by the time we finally leave for the race, the car may be ready, but mentally, mentally and physically. <laughs> you're you're done i mean and and then you go get in the car at least us east coast racers we get in the car and then drive you know get in the truck or whatever and, and drive 20 24 hours to the west coast and then just be just show up at the start line already handicapped i mean it, it, that's just i don't know there's a lot there's a lot there from a mental standpoint from a physical endurance standpoint that yeah, i think you hit it right if you if you i mean you weren't racing but I saw, I mean, I saw what you did during the, you know, the seven to 10 days, just out of the hammers, you were walking 15 miles a day on a different car, on a different car, on a different car. And it was just a constant demand. And that just wears at you. Right. You know, it, things really changed getting down here, leading up to hammers. It, uh, they're not leading up to hammers, leading up to moving hammers used to be a, like almost a six week adventure for me. I mean, I would go on the road when we still live in Idaho, I would go on the road and first go finish wiring on cars or go wire cars or go help people. And then finally end up at hammers and be in hammers for two weeks. But the month leading up, I wasn't even home. I was already out working. And now this year is the first year in nine years. I've actually been home for my wife's birthday, which is February 6th, which is so how, you know, it, I actually left race day and came home because there's, there was at that point, there was nothing I could do. And now we're 45 minutes from there. I might as well go home. And the live show is just that good. Right. <laughs> I'm not telling everyone to leave the lake bed, but the live show is good. I mean, I, 
I was already oh, on one race day. No, we watched it from the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> With beers. Did you send me a picture of you drinking beer in the hot tub? And so like, I think you, I think you did. You might I would have never, I would never, ever do that ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I said, I said it already, Josh, but thank you again for coming on. Did we cover all the bases that you wanted to, wanted to cover. I know we could do the same interview again tomorrow. It'd be completely different, but yeah, no, it's, I think we're pretty much good to go. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on everybody. Josh West, CBM, man. Awesome. If you're uh, looking for a job and interested in moving to Hesperia, he's your guy. Uh, We're open. We got, we need help. I mean, we, you know, you can work for free. That's even a bonus for us. (laughs) And six weeks straight leading up to the hammers. No, it's, it's not that bad, but, uh, pays good. And uh, it is in California where the weather's great and you're close to 45 minutes from hammers. All right. You get a chance to work with a lot of rigs, a lot of high horsepower, sand cars, race cars. I mean, it's a whole different world. And you're leaving out the biggest part. You get to work with me, right? Yeah, right. That's, uh, I, don't, sold I, don't, itself. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative or what that is at this point. Oh, man. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for agreeing to come on the Talent Tank. Everybody, Josh West, CBM Motorsports, man. Um, if you guys are looking for tunes, for your engines, get your engine management up to speed. I mean, I know it sounds like a commercial, but I've just seen it so many times. You know, we told the Cade Rod story at the very beginning of the show, and it was just heartbreaking when I found out that that was kind of what, it, that, that was something that had fallen through the cracks. And I've seen it time and time again. Hit it, my boy Josh here. All right. On that note, Josh, thanks for coming. Thanks, sir. We are out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.